Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I am feeling a lot better, but still be in prayer for Rachel as I'm recording this. She's still not feeling too well, but hopefully everyone's going to have a good Mother's Day today. And I wish we could be together, um, but today is a special day. We thank God for the blessing of our mothers. I'm thankful for my mom who taught me the faith and taught me the Bible and just just uh, loved me and cared for me. And we thank God and remember the high calling that mothers have uh, to train the kids, train their kids in the way they should go, to train them in the gospel, to train, train them and teach them that Jesus loves them and to show them that love and to teach them about how Jesus died for their sins. And so that's what we're, we're remembering today on this Mother's Day. Um, and so it, it obviously, the Mother's Day takes on spiritual aspects. For as we're part of the family of God, we have spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters, and spiritual mothers and fathers. We see in the Bible, it talks about older women are called to uh, live by example, to encourage the younger women in the faith. Thus being, they are like a spiritual mother to many people. We see this uh, spiritual parenthood in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, implored each one of you to walk worthy of God. And that was Paul talking about being a father to those he encouraged, he comforted, and trained, and showed to walk worthy of God. And that's that can be a mother, a father in the faith. And so I encourage you to do that. If you uh, to, to be a mother to someone, to be a spiritual mother in the faith, to be a spiritual father. And to do that, we're going to look at today, to be a spiritual father or mother, you first must yourself have a grasp of the good news, have a, a grasp of who the Son is, who is the Son of God, who is the Messiah. And so that's what we're going to look at as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew uh, we are going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 22, and we're asked the question, who is the Messiah? As Jesus will ask this question to the Pharisees, who is the Messiah? Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 41, who is the Messiah? And so just a simple outline, we'll see that the Messiah is David's son and David's Lord. It's David's descendant and David's God. And that's what we're trying to be figuring out. How is that possible? And so it's going to be a little mind-blowing to see the complexities of the triune God and who Jesus is, fully God and fully man. And we'll see the richness of the Old Testament and of the scriptures. And so it'll be a great time to look into the Word of God this morning. So before I get into the passage, I do want to pray for us. So pray with me. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Uh, illuminate it in our hearts. Allow us to see Jesus for who he truly is. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for technology where we are separated for a time where we can still be together this way. It's not uh, the same, but God, we thank you for this. Bring us back together again in person, Lord, soon. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at Matthew 22 starting in verse 41. 
It says, while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. So now we see Jesus turning the tables. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the religious leaders have been asking Jesus questions. And if you remember, most of their, their questions were about behavior. Do we do this? Do we do that? Now, Jesus will always turn their, their, their uh, attention to the heart of the problem or to the heart of the matter. And here he does that again. And he was looking at not asking what to do or what, what not to do, but he's saying, who is the Messiah? He'll ask them a question. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see that what who is the Messiah? Which in that question is really what the whole Bible is pointing to, is who is the one to come to save the people from their sins? Who is the one who come to save and rescue the world? We all see that something's wrong with the world, and who, what's going to make it right? What is the solution? Who is the Messiah? Who is the Savior? And so we see Jesus, he's going to question them with this very question. He says, what do you think about the Messiah? Not just in general, but specifically he, he, he focuses in whose son is he? And they replied, David's. Now, knowledge of the Old Testament, and we've seen this in Matthew so far, that the Messiah is the descendant of David. Now, David was the king, one of the, the, the best kings in the Old Testament. Now, he sinned and messed up horribly, so he's not perfect. And so, but he is the one in, in the Old Testament where they said, hey, someone's going to come after you, David, and be a king way better than you. He's going to be the eternal king. He's going to be the everlasting king. But for some reason, a lot of people, when they read those Old Testament passages about the son of David coming, they, even though I'll show you, um, in a few moments, that it's definitely more than just a mere man. They thought that the, the Messiah, the Christ, uh, would just be a mere man. And now the word Messiah is, you can translate the word Messiah as Christ. So Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. It can mean anointed one. They're all the same word there. It points to back to the Old Testament where priests and kings were anointed. They were set apart for the Lord's service, either as a priest or a king. And Jesus will be both of those. He'll be a prophet, priest, king, and he will be actually the sacrifice. He fulfills them all. But the Old Testament specifically speaks of a king, a Messiah, a Christ, who would come in the future and bring God's kingdom in a mighty way and bring salvation. And the Jews knew the Old Testament. They knew that this king would be a descendant of David. And so we see one of the examples uh, that, that the king would be a descendant of David is in 2 Samuel uh, 7, verse 12. It says, when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant. So he's talking to David and he says, I will raise up after you a descendant. And so, and what will happen? He will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So he's going to be a descendant of David. He's going to be the king. This is the king they're waiting for. And we see this even in um, the New Testament. When just last, uh, a couple weeks ago, Matthew 21, the crowds uh, went ahead of him. And they, those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. 
So they're calling Jesus the son of David. They're seeing Jesus as this fulfillment. He's bringing in the kingdom of God. He definitely is the son of David. He definitely is uh, born a man. Jesus is fully man, born in the flesh. He became like us in every way, except he did not sin. This is an important point for us to realize as we trust in Jesus and, and worship him and see who he is, that he is the son of David, that he is fully man. But he's so much more than just a man, so much more than just a teacher, so much more than just the son of David. He is the son of God as well. He's fully man and he's fully God. And we, we see this. Jesus talks about this. Um, he spoke of himself in Matthew 12, 42. He says, something greater than Solomon is here. So something greater than the son of David is here. Solomon was the, the literal physical son of the, the, the descendant of David that was king after David. But he's, Jesus is greater than Solomon. He's greater uh, than just the son of David. Because the Messiah, as Jesus will show us, is the son of God. And Matthew makes this very clear from the very beginning that so that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the son of God. So here's a quick, here's some passages running through the book of Matthew. So if you're taking notes, uh, sorry, Jane, I'm going to go through a lot of verses real quick here. But just to give you an overview of who Jesus is so far in the book of Matthew, that he is the Messiah and namely he is the son of God. So we see this. First, starting out, we see at the very beginning, Matthew tells us who Jesus is, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And yes, he is the son of David. He is the one promised to come in the line of David. But not only that, we see that how he came about, we see his genealogy. We see Elihu fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Mathane. Mathane fathered Jacob. And I put those verse, this verse here because notice there will be a change. We see Mathane fathered Jacob, but look, look what happened. Jacob fathered Joseph, who is the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. Notice what it doesn't say. It breaks the pattern. It doesn't say Joseph fathered Jesus. Why? Because Jesus did not have an earthly father. Joseph was merely the husband of Mary who gave birth to Jesus. Because Jesus was not fathered by Joseph. Instead, Jesus is the son of God. And he is the Messiah. He is the Christ, as it says there. So the question remains, whose son is the Messiah? You could say, if the Pharisees saw Jesus for who he was, saw Jesus as a Messiah, they could have said, the Messiah, you, Jesus, are the son of David. You are the son of Mary. You are fully man. You were born of Mary. But that's not the whole story because Mary was a virgin. As we see, it gets explained how the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was uh, born of Mary, but he, she, he was conceived. He was, she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Again, we, we'll see the 
the, the Trinity throughout today's passage. We'll see God the Son. We'll see the Holy Spirit. We'll see God the Father. And so here we see Jesus is God the Son, but he is born human, born of a virgin, though. So why is this the case? What's the significance of this? It fulfills prophecy. We see it fulfilling prophecy in verse 23. See, the virgin will come, be pregnant, and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. See, Jesus is not just the son of David. He is God with us. He is the son of God. So the whose son is the Messiah? They could have said the son of David, the son of Mary, the son of God, who has always existed being God himself. He is God with us. And we hear Jesus's identity being declared from the heavens by God the Father. It says, when at his baptism, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God the Father is well pleased with his son. And right in the, in the baptism, we see the Spirit dwell descending on the Son. Again, a picture of the triune God. And so we see a, another example. Even the demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. It says, suddenly they shouted, what do you have to do with us, Son of God? The, the demons know Jesus is the Son of God. They say, have you come here to torment us? before the time they know that jesus will defeat them they know that they will be defeated as we'll see in this passage today jesus will defeat sin death demons the devil but at the point in matthew 8 it wasn't their time but they knew that jesus was the son of god we also see that his disciples recognize jesus as the son of god he walks on the water miraculously walks on the water we see in Matthew 14:33 that those in the boat worshipped him and said, "Truly, you are the Son of God." They recognized Jesus as the Son of God. And then again in Matthew 16:15, it says, "But you," he asked them, "Who do you say that I am?" Jesus asked. This is the the most important question. This is the question that comes up over and over again. Who do you think Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Because your answer has everlasting, eternal consequences. So Peter gets the answer right, but only because it was divinely revealed that his eyes were open to see who Jesus is. And he says, you are the Messiah. That is, you are the Christ. You are the anointed king. You are the son of the living God. The Messiah is not just the son of David. He is the son of the living God. And just in case you missed it, God the Father declares again in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. We see Jesus in his, in, in his glory, in really just partial glory. He says, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Again, God the Father saying, this is my son. Jesus is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. He's perfect. He is sinless. We should listen to him. Listen to him. So when Jesus asked, whose son is the Messiah in verse 42, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They should have said the son of David, the son of God. He's both fully man and fully God. And Jesus will point out 
this from the Old Testament now. So that we've looked at how we've seen Jesus as the son of David and the son of God from Matthew. Now let's jump to the Old Testament and Jesus tries to convince the Pharisees and really this should be a go-to this is a go-to text for uh, much of the old uh, of the new testament It's the most cited uh, old testament chapter psalm 110 and so jesus will point psalm 110 out to them to try to convince them that the messiah is more than just a mere man that he himself is the messiah that he is god so verse 43 he asked them how is it that david inspired by the spirit calls him lord so a couple of things to break down so we see that day we'll we'll see jesus quote psalm 110 and he attributes the psalm to david so david uh wrote this psalm he says that it was david is talking in this psalm and but it's not only david it's not only some guy that lived a thousand years ago but he he spoke this psalm. He wrote this. He's inspired by the Spirit. He did this by the Spirit. It was written by the Spirit. And so that means it is going to be God's Word. It is authoritative. Jesus wants to make clear that you can't just uh, push this away. You have to deal with this. This is the Word of God. And so literally David wrote this in the Spirit. He's referring to the Holy Spirit, Mark 1236 makes that clear. It's the Holy Spirit that he wrote this by. And he calls the Messiah Lord. And so for the Pharisees who viewed the Old Testament inspired by God, they would listen close to Jesus's question. Again, the Bible, both old and new, are God's word. That's why I preach and teach from them. I don't just preach the New Testament or just preach the Old Testament, we but we come, we, we you can't really understand the New Testament fully without understanding the Old Testament. Jesus is constantly going back to the Old Testament to to tell us something about who He is. And here we see the in these two two verses, truth of the triune nature of God. We see the Trinity. For we see God the Spirit inspiring David to write about how God the Father speaks to God the Son. It's it is really amazing. And what do we learn about God from Psalm 110, as Jesus quotes it here in verse 44? He said he quotes Psalm 110. And again, this is written by David, inspired by the Spirit. He says, the Lord declared to my Lord. Now, if your brain just kind of like locks up, that's normal. What's going on? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And Jesus says, if David calls him Lord, talk about the Messiah, how then can he be his son? So if David calls the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah also be David's son? Because remember, the Pharisees said that the Messiah would be David's son. And Jesus is saying, if that is all that the Messiah is, then why did Jesus himself, why did David himself refer to the Messiah as Lord? They knew this verse, but they didn't understand it properly, nor its implications. Have you ever read something and you read it over and over and over again, and then finally it, it clicks? That's kind of what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to make the light bulb go off. He said, hey, read this verse again. How, and he asked a question about it. 
if David calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? He wants to make, wants to make them think. Jesus quotes this verse that the Messiah is more than just the son of David. The Messiah is actually David's Lord. That is David's God. So let me try to explain what's going on here. So the Lord's declared to my Lord. As one scholar, we'll see basically four points to explain why the Messiah is God. Why is the why the Messiah is God Himself? Why Jesus is divine? Why Jesus is God? From Psalm one ten. Ready first. One scholar notes: If David spoke of someone else as his Lord, it might seem reasonable assumption that he was speaking of the Messiah. Who else under God was above David? So first, we have to realize that Jesus is interpreting Psalm 110 as referring to the Messiah. Okay? And so it seems reasonable that this would be the case, because who else would David be referring to as his Lord if it wasn't the Messiah? Someone over him, right? And so this is how Jesus understood this passage, which is pretty strong evidence for me to say Psalm 110 is about the Messiah, because Jesus says it is, right? All right, second, we see if you, in Hebrew, the first, when it says the Lord declared to my Lord, the first Lord refers to Yahweh, the name of God. Now, God had many names, and you could refer to him in many different ways, but Yahweh was his, the main name, right? So in Hebrew, it's Yahweh is that first Lord. So Yahweh declared to my Lord, and that's in Hebrew, it's Adonai. Now, Adonai could be used in reference to a human king. Um, it could also be in reference to earthly rulers, earthly kings, but it can also be in reference to God himself. So we have Yahweh declared to Adonai. And so the, the question is, who is Adonai? Who is this Lord? Who is Yahweh talking to? Who is the other Lord. And so I'm going to say that this other Lord is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Okay. And so Adonai can refer to God himself. Uh, you can see, for example, Adonai referring to in Hebrew, referring to God himself in Psalm 23, verse 30, Psalm 130, verse 6, Daniel chapter 9, verse 9. So that's for you Bible nerds out there. Anyways, so that's this. So, um, that's the second point that Adonai can refer to God himself. Okay. So, and then the third, the third point here in the Greek Old Testament and Jesus's quotation of it, he actually uses the same word for Lord each time. Kurios, Kurios. So he says, the Lord, Kurios, declared to my Lord, Kurios. All right. So it's the same word. So it, it hints that the fact that both lords are divine, that they are equal, okay? And then fourth, the last, this is the last point, I think the strongest evidence here, the context of Psalm 110. Always the context gives us great understanding when uh, trying to figure out what a Bible passage means, what it's, what it's trying to say, who is, just read a little bit further down and you can kind of see what's going on. So in the context of Psalm 110, we'll go to verse four. It says about the Messiah, the Lord, it says, uh, the Lord 
swore, swore an oath and will not take it back. He says, you are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. So first, it says that this uh, person, this Messiah, this Lord will be a priest forever. Something that would be more than just a mere man, right? You have to have someone who is divine to live forever, right? And after the, after the pattern, after the order of Mount Kizedek, uh, refers to this really interesting, really short story in Genesis 14, uh, verse 14, Genesis 14, 14, about this priest king who just shows up out of nowhere, blesses Abraham. He, he's really significant, and he just shows up out of nowhere, then he's gone. And so it, it's kind of pictured as like he just has no beginning or no end. And in the, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapters 5 through 7, tells us a lot about, they tells us a lot about Melchizedek. It, like it, it emphasizes how Jesus is like Malk, Melchizedek. Okay, so all that to say is Jesus is the forever king. He is without beginning. He's without end. He is the forever priest. He is God himself. So that's why I think Psalm 110, when talking about the Messiah, refers to the Lord being God. Okay. So after he asked this question, no one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. They were silenced. They could not answer Jesus' question. Throughout the book of Matthew, we have seen over and over again that Jesus the Messiah is not just a mere man, but God himself. Healing the sick, controlling the weather, walking on water, forgiving sins, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy of what the Messiah would do. Jesus doing things only God could do. Now, Jesus makes it abundantly clear to the Pharisees that he is God. He is the Lord. Even though they could not argue against Jesus' interpretation of the Messiah as God's son, as the Lord himself, they will seek to kill Jesus because of his claim to be God. They didn't believe him, but they knew what he was doing. They knew that he was claiming to be God. Because look, at, the, at his near the end, at his crucifixion, at his, at his court date, Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. It's interesting. He's charging Jesus, the son of the living God, under the oath of the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. So he knows that he's claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. He, says, he wants you to tell us, because if you, if you are claiming to be that, we don't believe you. We think you're blaspheming. We think you're lying. And so Jesus responds, you have said it. In other words, yes, it's true. So Jesus is crucified shortly after. So while they... Will kill G why they will kill Jesus, we know that Jesus went to the cross willingly. It was in the divine plan because through his death on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. Through his death, he freed us from the power of sin. And through his resurrection, we can live a new life. 
And that, and that is the way Jesus actually fulfills Psalm 110. So when Psalm 110 says that Jesus, the, my Lord, will sit at God's right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, the imagery of making the enemies a footstool is an imagery of victory, of conquering, that Jesus will conquer all his enemies. He, Jesus is the Christ. He is the king. He's the anointed one. He's got himself and he defeats his enemies by actually dying, by actually sacrificing himself, but also by being raised again, by defeating it, by defeating death itself, by raising from the dead. And he will defeat all his enemies. And some of his enemies are going to be those who rebel against him. Those who rebel against the Son. Those who say that Jesus is not the Messiah. Those who say that Jesus was lying. Those who do not worship him as God. Those he will defeat. We see this in Psalm uh, 2. It says, pay homage to the Son. That is, pay homage to Jesus. Pay homage to the Messiah, the Son of God. Respect him. It literally kiss the son respect honor praise worship the son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment we do not know how many um more seconds or minutes or hours or days we have in this life we need to rightfully understand and respond to who Jesus is because if we don't we know that he will defeat us that he will defeat his enemies it is for sure but here's the good news we all have a choice that we don't have to stay in rebellion we can repent of our sin that is turn away from our sin and we can take refuge in the sun we can find salvation in him. We can pay honor and worship and glorify him. We'll be blessed. We'll be happy. We'll have eternal life. Because if you trust in him, if you worship him, he will give you refuge. He will save you. Because not only does Jesus defeat those who rebel against him, not only does he defeat and punish those who do horrible, wicked, sinful things and make all things right, he, he, has, he is a just God. He will make everything right. He not only defeats those who rebel against him, but he also defeats his enemies of sin. He defeats his enemies of death. He defeats his enemy of the devil. For through Jesus' sacrificial death, he fulfills the promise we see all the way from the beginning of Genesis 3, verse 15, which says that the seed of the woman the son of David, Jesus. That's why Jesus had to become one of us to take our place. So Jesus, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He's talking about the serpent and Satan and by, by extension, sin and death and everything that came with the fall. So Jesus, Satan, Satan is made Jesus's footstool. He will strike Satan's head. And how does he do that? How is 
Jesus making Satan his footstool through the cross and his resurrection. And through faith in Christ, being united to Jesus in faith, he gives us the power to defeat sin and to defeat the devil as well. As Martin Luther wrote a long time ago, he says, when sin drives you to revenge, he says, you can say, or you can basically, when any sin, right, you fill in the blank, when sin drives you to revenge, or when sin drives you to lust, or when sin drives you to impatience, fill in the blank, you can say, flesh, you may rage, but you may not conquer. You may rage, but you may not conquer, for there is a Lord over you. There is a Lord over your sin. And the Lord who is called, sit at my right hand, he is Lord over all. Because Jesus is exalted, he made every enemy his footstool. He sits on the throne. He has all authority on earth and in heaven. You can conquer your sin because you are in him. He's given you a new heart. He's empowered you to defeat your sin. He's Lord over all. So that you cannot, so you cannot do what you want. Talking to sin, you, he doesn't rule over you. Sin and Satan do not rule over you anymore. Once you believe in Jesus, we still struggle, but every day we remind ourselves what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross for our sins, took our place, rose again, gives us power to defeat sin every day. We must trust in Him and Him alone for salvation. We must preach this over and over again to ourselves that we may never forget and never think uh, that we can earn our way. Never think that if we mess up tomorrow that Jesus doesn't love us anymore. We have to remember that in Christ, you believe in him, you trust in him, there is no condemnation. He saves you, saves you from your sin, saves you from eternal hell, gives you eternal life. So with that knowledge, remind yourself of that this week and live in that victory because Christ has been victorious for us. Let's pray. I'll close in, in prayer. Pray with me. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that we live in victory this week, that we live in victory over our sin. Help us to realize who Jesus is more each and every day, that he is Lord, that he is fully man, that he is fully God, that we worship. Let us worship him with all that we are. With Let us love you, God. Let us love the Son, God. We, we do love you, and we do thank you for this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.